We are going to be in Acts chapter 16. It's actually one of my, it's probably my favorite passage in Acts. I, I feel like I say that a lot, one of my favorite, but this has always been um, one that has been especially meaningful. And I think it's especially important for us today. So, Father, help us as we open your word. Help us to be faithful in listening to you and to hearing what you have to say to us through your word. Give us the faith to believe. Give us the grace to obey. And let us experience the joy that you have for us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to do me a favor and think about the testimonies that you have heard in your life that have been the most impactful. Testimonies to, to God's goodness, to his grace. Maybe it's testimony you've heard at a church or at a camp or at a conference. Uh, and I'm guessing if we could go around and we could um, listen to everybody and say like, hey, could you, could you share um, a little bit about that? I think that there might be some similarities I know for me, when I think about, um, there have been many, many testimonies over the years that have been really powerful to me, but I, um, I remember being around 12 or 13 years old and hearing the testimony at camp of a, of a man who was uh, raised in a, another country where uh, it was illegal to convert to Christianity, but even um, more than that, it brought shame on the entire family to do so. And he received the gospel and became a follower of Jesus. And in telling his family, his brothers took him out into a field and tied him to a tree and beat him, trying to get him to recant. And he did not. He actually ended up um, moving to the United States and, and becoming a pastor of a church in Iowa, and then he would come and speak at this camp that I would go to. And here's what I remember about that. I don't remember the, the gory details of, of the situation. I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, he must really treasure Jesus. And I don't know if that's the word I used. I was 12 or 13. Like It may have been like, he must like Jesus a lot. I don't know. He must really love Jesus. But I remember that powerful testimony of hearing somebody and for me, how the profound impact that it made on me to hear that this is how much Jesus is worth. And I had never heard anything like that. But it shouldn't surprise us because throughout scripture we see all these examples that God's power is best on display in our weakness, which is why Paul boasts all the more in his weaknesses. The satisfying worth of the kingdom of God is best on display in the small offering of a poor widow. And we know as we're reading through these stories and acts that people don't get broken out of prison if they aren't put into prison. People don't get healed if they don't get sick. 
People don't get delivered if they aren't held captive. And I thought more and more about over the years what has really stirred me, what has motivated, what has done something in my life when I hear and I see people talk about the goodness of God and worship him and what has God used as a powerful testimony. And I think about how the person who makes me want to read the Bible more isn't the brilliant scholar who writes all the books. It's the person with dyslexia or other learning disabilities that underlines every word and cries out to God for understanding. The person who makes me believe in in the power of God isn't the successful business person. It's the one racked with depression who comes to church every week and lifts up weary hands in praise. The person who helps me understand that Jesus is enough isn't the person who's like living their best life on Facebook or Instagram. It's the person who has suffered the greatest of losses and still worships God. What we know is throughout Scripture from beginning to end that the circumstances that the enemy and others mean for evil and for our harm, God means for good. It is in Genesis 50, 20 in the story of Joseph, but also a main theme that starts at the beginning and ends in Revelation. And that's what we have here today. In, one of, in this situation, in this story, we have a situation where what the enemy means for evil, God means and intends for good. God doesn't react to it and make something good out of it on the fly. He intends it for good. He means it for good. And I want to get you today to consider that maybe the thing that you think is an obstacle in your life is actually the platform that God has given you to have a testimony like these that we've mentioned. That maybe the thing that you think needs to be resolved before you can have a powerful testimony is, in fact, the powerful testimony. To consider that maybe what you see as the hindrance is actually the path. So here's the the situation in Acts 16, starting in verse 16. Paul and Silas, as, as we were going to the place A prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. By the way, if you're looking for some reason why Paul let this go on for days, or that he decides decides to cast out this spirit in this girl um, because of his annoyance, I've got nothing for you. I don't know. I could imagine being annoyed after days of this going on. 
But that's what, it, that's what it says. This is, by the way, one of the reasons why, one of the little things that are just gifts, I think, to us to understand how authentic the Bible actually is. Because if you were going to create a myth around all of this, you would not include details like that. Paul would not be painted as this guy that's going along and like, okay, enough, 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 enough already, get out! Like he would have, it would have been completely different, but that's the story, that's what happens. In verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, so Paul sets this girl free from the spirit. She's being used, exploited for the gain of of these, these people who are getting rich off of her. They own her, she is their slave, and she goes around and prophesying, and they, they charge for that, and they make money. And when Paul sets her free, they get upset, and they bring false accusations against them. They don't really care about Roman law. They don't really care. So these men who have Paul and Silas and the others arrested, they don't care about Roman law. They don't care about what Paul believes. They care about themselves and they care about their financial gain and Paul has ruined it. And so they bring up false accusations to kind of take vengeance and revenge on them. And it works. And they are stripped and they are beaten and they are put in the inner prison in stocks. We don't know a lot about what the inner prison would be, but just think about how dark and muggy and foul it would be in there. And this is where they are, all for setting a slave girl free from being tortured and exploited. I can't imagine a greater injustice. I can't imagine a situation more where Paul would be like, what, really? Like to do good and to suffer for righteousness sake, like Paul is living it right now. And what is their response? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine this? Like this is such a great illustration of what we mean when we talk about the obstacle being the way. That the the persecution being the platform. We talk about God building a platform for us in our lives with the purpose of us declaring and demonstrating the goodness of God, our our belief that Christ is to be treasured above all things, that he is worthy. And I can't help but think, especially in our culture today, if something like this had happened, this would not be our response. If it had been us, we would have had all the lawyers on the phone, all the media outlets, all the protests set up, Facebook posts written up, And I think if Paul was there with us, and if he could communicate then with us in the midst of that, he would say, chill out. Why? 
Because he believes that this moment is from God. He does not believe that this is something that is happening to him that is foiling God's plan and purpose through his life. He believes this is the road. He doesn't believe this is a detour that the enemy has dragged him off. He believes, no, this is the path. And his job is to not set the trail, but to follow the path faithfully. If you believe that it's up to us to make things happen, for us to be the the trailblazers and the trendsetters, then you will often be resisting the road that God actually has you on. You will find yourself taking your own detours off the road that God has placed you on for your good and for his glory. If you believe that God owes you the smooth road because you obeyed the law, then you will spend your time worrying about your circumstances rather than seeing the incredible opportunities you have in front of you. Paul believes that God has put him there for this moment. This is the platform. Every accusation, every strike of the rod, being placed in prison, these aren't foils to God's plan. This is the plan. The persecution is the platform. God has built it for him and is handing him a giant bullhorn. And what he does is he sings and he praises God and he prays and the prisoners are listening. I'm sure he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows what he is to do in every moment. Is it any wonder later he would say this to the Thessalonians? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It would be a mistake to think that the person writing this is a person who has not faced trials and suffering and hardships. This is Paul. And he writes this after he has gone through everything we are reading about here. He's likely remembering this situation and others like it, saying, this is the will of God. And so they sing. And everyone is listening. Their suffering is a platform that makes their praise of God all the louder. And it makes their love of others all the more striking. So think about that. The the praise of God, it makes the praise of God all the louder. That what they are doing in those moments is just worshiping God, singing hymns, praying, calling out to God. We often think that being a witness for Christ means having all of the right answers about what we believe, why we believe it, why we can trust all of these things. Or we believe it's about winning an earthly battle, either a debate with someone else or a cultural battle. That if we win that cultural battle, then that will testify and that will be the testimony to God's goodness. But that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that the most powerful witness is our continued steadfast worship of God in the midst of all circumstances. And that is because it proves that we actually believe what we say we believe. Because we can say whatever we want, but will we be faithful when these trials hit? Will we give thanks in all circumstances? 
Do people know you as someone who praises God for the good things and complains about the world or complains about the world or others or their neighbor during bad times and hard times? Or do they know you as someone who praises God and gives thanks in all circumstances? By the way, it doesn't mean someone that doesn't grieve, but it means someone who gives thanks to God in all circumstances, knowing that the path they are on is the one he has for them. I mean, imagine the kind of ministry, prison ministry that Paul and Silas have right here. If we have faithful people who go and share the gospel at, at our prisons, and it is fantastic, but nothing compared to this. Like, of course the prisoners are listening. It's like the criminal on the cross. They know how Paul and Silas have been treated. They know why they're in there. And they know that Paul and Silas are different. So it is a platform that makes our praise of God louder. It's a platform also to demonstrate real love and makes our love of others, especially our enemies, all the more striking. So he continues in verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open. So this earthquake comes and, and all the doors of the prison are opened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. One note about this text that I always find striking is, why were the other prisoners still there? Like Maybe if you're familiar with the story, you picture, I used to always just picture Paul and Silas are there. And I would just miss, I would gloss over the fact that everyone stayed have you ever seen like a movie where like in a prison, all the doors, like someone gets in and they break open all the cells? And what do you see? Do you see all the inmates just going like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. Are we having tea time a little early today? No, they go running because that's what you do when you're held captive and the doors break open, but nobody moves. Why? I think they knew something supernatural was going on. And they know that Paul and Silas are in it, and they aren't going anywhere. Now think about Paul, if his response, think about what's going on in his heart when this happens in the split-second decision where he cries out to the guard to not harm himself. I mean, he like intervenes immediately. What has to be going on in his heart at that moment? Let me tell you what can't be going on. He can't be harboring bitterness and resentment towards that jailer. That slows down our reaction. There's no way in a moment he is going to throw himself out there and say, hey, we're all here. Don't harm yourself. If he's been spending the last hour or two just mulling over how unjust it is and how this guy is evil and how he hopes he gets what he deserves. It's not possible. Instead, instead of being busy, being angry at God or at the jailers or crying about the injustice of it all, 
He is praising God and being filled with the love of Christ and being satisfied in that. And that love transcends his anger at the injustice of the whole situation. And he reaches out and he saves the jailer. And the only way to do that is if you are overflowing with the satisfying love of Jesus. No amount of memorization of principles or no amount of right living will ever get you to this place. It is only being overflowing and satisfied and saturated in the love of Christ that that is what would pour out in that moment. You might say, as Paul would later, that he was controlled by the love of Christ, compelled by the love of Christ. And this is the kind of love that Paul is compelled by when Jesus talks of this in Luke 6, when he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is hard, but this is what Jesus means when he says to love your enemies. It means loving and seeking the good, even of those who would mean you harm. And that is an incredible platform to talk about the love of Christ. I guess one platform to say like, oh, the love of Christ is so real and I can see it in my love for, in my family. And that's good. And people can say, oh, that's so good. But when, we, when people hear that testimony, they just hear like, okay, your life is great. That's awesome. And you attribute it to God, but it could be to anything else. But when you love those who would seek to do you harm, that is impossible to explain. When you forgive quickly and genuinely, the only way that you can explain that is because of the overwhelming forgiveness and the extravagant forgiveness that Christ has offered you. And so this platform that God has been building for him makes his love of others all the more striking because he has people in front of him that have sought to do him harm. And so Paul acts out in love of the jailer, in love of the prisoners, and then in love for the church. Even what happens next, the demand to have the magistrates come. Watch, watch how he does this in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So the jailer had taken Paul and Silas back to his house. They'd cared for him, dressed their wounds. They'd shared the gospel. They'd baptized their household. Like, this incredible thing had happened. And the next morning, when the, when the magistrates hear about everything that happened, they're like, just let him go. Like, get him out of here. 
We don't want to deal with this. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, at first blush, this could look like Paul is like sticking it to the man right here. Like he's just saying, you know what? Yep, you beat us publicly, come and get us. And it's just kind of this bravado, like how dare you do this to us? But we see why Paul did it. Paul did this out of love for this new church that had been planted. He's taking a risk. But he is protecting the testimony of the gospel. And one thing that I think is important here is to see how Paul uses his Roman citizenship. I've had people say to me, okay, we're in this country and we talk all the time about we need to be ready for suffering. This passage is about that. We're going to talk about that in our country. But people have also said, but what do we do with the blessing that we've been given? Do we just pretend we don't have that? Do we just act as though we're poor even though we have wealth? Do we, do we act as though we're persecuted in the, in the world even though we actually have influence still? Even though it might be declining, we still have some of that? Do we, do we just give up this platform? Is that what we're supposed to do? And I would say it is a very difficult thing to discern and we can only discern it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we definitely see here that Paul is willing to use his Roman citizenship at times and other times he is not. And the only way that I can explain that is that the Holy Spirit is telling him what to do. That's all I got. You don't see like a, well, okay, well in this circumstance, if someone's going to die, well, they let Stephen die. Or if he, he persecutes the church, we see people still persecuted, still arrested. He didn't use his Roman citizenship at the beginning of that when they were starting to beat him. Imagine, think about what he went through before he claimed his Roman citizenship. He doesn't claim it when they arrest him. He doesn't claim it when they beat him. He doesn't claim it when they imprison him. He only claims it when he's looking at this and saying, if I go out of here secretly, people are going to come in and tear down everything we had built in this church. And for the love of them, I will claim it now. It is not for his own protection. It is not in his own service. It is in the service of others. So that should be, that should move us to say, if we're going to use the influence that God has given us in this country, let it be used in service of others, not for our own gain. And so this is what Paul does. He makes sure that he visits all of them. And I love this because he's like, all right, you come and walk us out. So they come and they let him out publicly in the light of day. And they say, okay, please leave the city. And he's like, totally, we'll absolutely do that. First, I'm going to go and encourage the disciples. And they're like, okay, could you make it quick? Paul's unafraid. He's just, he's just unflappable. And he makes sure that the church knows this is the power of the gospel. This is the depth of my love for you, which reflects God's love for you. And they are strengthened. So here's the big thing. 
throughout the whole thing, even when Paul uses his influence, it is his suffering that is the platform. Nothing we read here happens without the suffering that he goes through. The whole story looks completely different. And that is where we need to ask, is it possible that you are looking at the things that you are most upset with God about, most upset with others about, are actually the platform that God is building for you so that you would know that he is enough and that you'd be able to declare that he is enough. The problem is we don't want it. We don't want that road. Of course we don't want it. That road's hard. Robbie talked about it a few several weeks ago about God God like will will spread the gospel through blessing and he spreads it through persecution and then if you ask us which one to choose like we'd say um blessing please. I'll take blessing. And then, then we think like God gets to a place where he's like, well, I'm out of it. I don't have any more. I gave out all the blessings. So I'm just left with persecution. Great. That's not how he works. We don't want it because we often live under a false contract that if I do the right things, then God will do good things for me. We just can't escape it. And we just live in a culture that that's been so often the way. And we just think like, well, I went about this the right way. All the time I hear this, whether it's in, in marriages or in parenting or in business. Like, I, I ran my business honestly, but then God let me, like, get, I, I went bankrupt. Like, I did it God's way, and then this happened to me. And we feel like we're holding up our end of the bargain, but God is not holding up his end. And this couldn't be further from the truth. The thing is, we don't like what the Bible says about all of these things. We don't, we don't like that we are not our own. We don't like that we're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, but the one thing we're not is autonomous. We don't like that. We don't like that we aren't in control. Most of our lives are spent trying to be in control and being frustrated that we're not. We don't like suffering. We don't like big suffering. We don't like little suffering. We don't like all the suffering. We gain perspective. Whenever something happens, we gain perspective for about 2.8 seconds. And then we go back to complaining about our little worlds, right? You ever read an article, seen a news story, whatever? You're like, oh, that gives me perspective. And then we turn around and yell at our kids for not unloading the dishwasher. So quick, right? We go back to thinking that, that, that all of a sudden being in the grocery line that's too long is this horrible injustice. And it tells the world that we don't really believe what we say we believe. We say that God is in control. We say that he never lets us be tempted upon, beyond his ability to give us a way of escape. We say that we give thanks in all circumstances. And then it rains on our camping trip. And we're crying out to the heavens like, why God, why? just wanted one weekend. It's raining the whole time and I'm all wet. We say we want to have opportunities to display the worthiness of Christ. Which, by the way, that rain thing, I just got dropped a, a card that said, hey, pray for our farmers because they're desperate for rain. So I just thought, like, when I got that, I was like, oh, that's funny. I have an illustration in here about complaining and whining because there's rain. And, I, I, and then I thought, like, that's so fitting. We're so focused on our own little myopic world that we can actually think that God is doing something harmful because he ruined my weekend camping trip while there are others who are praising him and giving thanks so that we can have food. We spend 
so much time in these kinds of settings saying, I want to have the opportunity to share Christ. I want to have a platform to tell others about Jesus. And while God is building it, we are spending all of our time then dismantling it piece by piece. Like I just picture God saying like, okay, building, building a platform for you. Here's like he's building the post or whatever. And then us coming on going, God, I just really, I want to I want to glorify you in front of the nations and I want to tell everybody about how good you are and then we're just dismantling piece by piece while he's building. We're like, okay, God, it seems like you left this here. I'm going to put this over here and take that. God, that's getting awfully high. I don't really like that. Like, how about I just cut that down? But really, I want to tell everyone about you over here, down really low where no one can hear me. And God's saying, it's not what I have for you. I'm building you a platform we have to ask ourselves these hard questions to confront what we say we believe and what we do believe. Do you belong to yourself or to God? Is he good or are you? Is he wise or are you? Is he in control or are you? Is your life about your comfort or about his glory? Do you want eternal joy or do you want temporary happiness that is fleeting? Did he tell you that you would be loved all the time and everyone would think you're the best or that you would be hated? Did he tell you that everything would go great for you here on earth or that there would be trials and tribulations but not to worry because he would repay ten, a hundred times fold? We get so upset at God for not keeping promises that he's never made. And we spend so much time and energy on that. And we miss all the good gifts he is giving us now and preparing for us in the future. And those gifts are better. The road that you are on is better because Jesus is on that road and he is better. And he gives us gifts in the midst of it. One little gift that he gives that he has given in my life, and I think many of you would testify, is that God does not waste a hurt. So many times we go through things and we just think it's all for nothing. It is not. Every single thing you have been through, God uses. He might use it today. He might use it tomorrow. Or maybe something that saints are singing about for all eternity. And the other thing that it gives us is what we see in Paul here, which is it makes us bulletproof. When we pursue him, when we say the road that Jesus is on is better because he's on that road, whatever comes, then we are bulletproof. We say this about Paul a lot. In Philippians, he talks about this and he says, like, whatever they do to him, they can't do anything to him because he belongs to God. If they're going to let him live, he says, great, to live is Christ. They say they're going to kill him. He says, hey, to die is gain. They say they're going to beat him and torture him. Great, I get to share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul is seriously the most annoying person to persecute ever. These people had done everything they could do to Paul and Silas short of killing them, and they are still praising God and loving others. They are unflappable, they are steadfast, they're bulletproof. And as they're doing this, the prisoners were listening, the guards were listening, the whole world is listening. It's not naive optimism. It is rock-solid hope. When you realize that whatever comes today, God is sovereign over it and is using it for his good purposes and for your joy. When you realize that, you can handle anything. You can be content in all circumstances. You thrive in all circumstances. And it's better. 
Let me ask you, aren't you tired of having your joy stolen by every change or shift in your circumstances? Aren't you tired of being tossed to and fro just like by whatever happens by somebody else? Aren't you tired of your mood being dependent on the mood of others around you? Or finding your identity in your performance or in how others treat you? And I can give you lots of testimonies in my own life where I have been tired of that. I'm so tired of it. If we want what he offers in this, then we will pursue him. I just want to encourage you to do that. Like that's, if you want to practice this, if you want to say, okay, well, how do I do this? Like one is just practice his presence. In every circumstance, ask, is this from God? The Holy Spirit is here dwelling in me. Jesus is with me. God is, is here. So he is here with me. He is not surprised this is happening to me. He is with me. He's not going to hear a report at the end of the day and say, and, and as we're telling him, and he responds with, your boss said what to you? Well, if I had been there, I would have done this. No, he is there with you while they're saying these things to you, while these things are happening. And then shift your perspective from you being the center of everything to God's glory being the center of everything. To realize that it's not about your comfort in this moment. It's about how is this a platform to worship God and show that he's enough. And then just step out in faith. And respond the way that you know Christ is empowering you to respond. Here's why I think this is important. This is what, where I'm going to... And I, this is my plea and my appeal in these times right now. This is why I think this is so important. Because I think things are going to get worse. I think things in the world are going to get nuttier. I think we're going to feel less and less at home. I think our beliefs are going to become stranger and stranger to the world and to others in the church. And what I fear is not this change in the culture and not that things are going to get worse. What I fear is that we will not be found ready to be faithful witnesses to the worthiness of Christ. I fear we'll be more concerned with our circumstances and we will look for someone to blame. And we're already seeing it. And some will blame the culture and they will declare war on the culture and the culture will become their enemy. And in so doing, they will be unprepared to love them. They will see them as the enemy rather than the real enemy. And we will not love those who treat us as enemies because we'll be too busy letting anger and resentment and hate build up. I think others will blame God when he doesn't deliver. And when I say God, I mean the God of the Bible, the God has revealed to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he doesn't deliver the freedom, the comfort, and the prosperity that they want, they will turn to a different God. They will either leave the faith altogether or they will make a false Christianity that will promise those things that, that they think God should promise and deliver on. And both responses will testify to the world that Jesus is not enough. We will be testifying that the kingdom of God is not a treasure hidden in a field. 
will be testifying that there's no difference between us and anyone else. But what if we responded differently? What if, as the church, we said, you can criticize us, you can cancel us, you can persecute us, we will not waver and we will not stop singing praises to God? What if we responded the way Paul did? What if we saw it as an opportunity? I think we're being trained for this right now. And listen, if we can't handle things like someone, some like wealthy actor being fired off of a TV show for having some kind of unpopular view, if we can't handle that, if that's too much injustice for us to handle and we just discard the way of Jesus and be like, all right, that's enough. Then what on earth are we going to do when people are arrested or property is taken? Remember, remember just a few years ago when we were all up in arms that Walmart was saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas? Doesn't that seem so silly now? Look at all the things that have gone on. We were like, we were upset, man. Like the injustice of it all, that that greeter has to say happy holidays. Like it's small. We thought that was a big deal. And then whatever's going on right now, trust me, it's not going to feel like a very big deal. But if we respond faithfully, I think revival will happen. And here's the reality. So remember what Robbie said. He mentioned weeks ago about how God works through blessing and he works through persecution. That that's how the gospel is spread. And how we would choose blessing. And in many ways, we have done that here in the United States. However, he hasn't only done that here. Like the story in, in our country, not everyone's story is a story of declaring the goodness of God through blessing and prosperity, right? Like the story of, of slaves and Christianity in black America is a very different story and a very different platform than that of white America. But even so, even acknowledging that, through the United States, Christians have done many great things in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ. We've built hospitals, we've given aid, we've sent missionaries, we've done all of these things. And God has spread the gospel through the blessing that he gave to many in this country. And here's the reality, we are losing that influence and many people are looking at that and and panicking about that and, and grieving over that and I understand that. But let me just say this, I don't think we should just randomly give it up. But I will say this, if it is God's will that we regain that influence, then I can say confidently, it will come through our suffering well. It will not come through us asserting our power and dominance through politics and boycotts and social media wars as we try and force the culture to live, live according to godly morals and principles of a God they do not believe in. It's going to come through the testimony and the witness of the church that Jesus is worth obeying and following even into suffering. And that is the fertile soil of revival. And when revival happens, it doesn't matter what's going on in the culture because it will transform the culture. That is what will bring revival. That is when earthquakes bring prison walls down. And if you want that, then join me in prayer. 
Father, we desperately need to see the road that you have us on as a gift from you, and we cannot do that in our own strength. God, I can't do that in my own strength. God, you know, you know my heart, even this morning, whining about not feeling well. How ridiculous are we, and how, how temporary is our boldness and our strength. But you are steadfast. You are faithful. You are mighty. You are good. You are worthy of all of our praise. So Lord, as you are building these platforms for us, whether it's in our our extended families or in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces or in the world, let us be faithful. Let us see you and how you are working in the situation. Let us trust you every step of the way. Let us listen to the Holy Spirit. Let us be reminded of the words that you have spoken to your people. And let us believe that you are enough and that whatever road you are on, Jesus, that that is where we want to be, that we might abide in you. Let us believe that and then let us live that out so that others would see that and say that Jesus, you must be worthy. Amen.